0: This morning I invite you to once again turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalms. As we continue to explore God's hymn book, so to speak, we turn to Psalm 127. My apologies for not sending out the passage earlier. I have been intending to do that in this summer series where it's not uh, known what's coming next. It's different than studying a book where we just move to the next passage. I'll try to remember to do that earlier this week. Psalm 127 is a great little psalm, a familiar psalm, I'm sure, to many of you. Last week we looked at a psalm of Asaph. We've looked at several psalms of uh, David, who was a prolific psalm writer. And today we turn to one of, one of two known psalms written by one of David's sons, Solomon. Fitting to its author, this is known as a wisdom psalm. It's categorized as such, and what that means is that it grabs a hold or takes themes from the wisdom literature that we're used to in the Scriptures, books like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. It borrows themes from these books and incorporates them into songs for God's people. Psalm 127 is a song of ascent. It's a group of of psalms that uh, covers about 15 psalms from 120 to 134. These were songs that were thought to be written for God's people as they ascended the hill, as they ascended Zion to Jerusalem to meet God, to worship God. It was a little bit of an ascent, a little bit of a climb, and so as they looked... To Jerusalem, as they looked to the temple, they would sing these songs as families, as a congregation. And so listen as I read Psalm 127. It's found once again in your insert. This is God's Word. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake. In vain, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. This is the word of the Lord. Well, as many of you I know have, in our modern day I've had the privilege of traveling a little bit around this world that we live in, places like uh, Germany and France and Uganda, it's wonderful that we can visit places that are so far, that are so diverse, that are so different. One of the places, though, that I've always longed to go, that I hope to go to at some point in my life, it's on my bucket list, so to speak, is, uh, is Scotland. I want to go to Scotland. And the reason, well, I'll tell you the reasons later, but there's a variety of reasons why I'd like to go to Scotland Scotland is a land that is steeped in history, of course, and its capital city, the city of Edinburgh, is steeped in history and uh, has a rich history that has relevance for us today. For hundreds of years ago in the 17th century, as Edinburgh was being formed and built, the founders of that place gave their city a motto, It was a Latin phrase that is printed on the official coat of arms for the city of Edinburgh, Scotland. It's a Latin phrase, three words, Nisi Dominus Frustra. Literally, without God, frustration. Without God, frustration. See, centuries ago, the founders of Edinburgh recognized one of the fundamental truths that we find in Psalm 127. There are two truths that I want us to meditate on this morning. The first one comes out of that Latin phrase. I'm going to make it a little more modern. Ruin it a little bit, I guess, in that way, by making it a bit more modern. The first truth that I think Psalm 127 has to say to us is this. Without the Lord life is a waste. Without the Lord, life is a waste. If the Lord's not in it, in other words, there's really no point in doing it. There's really no point in pursuing it. See, Solomon wants to remind God's people of a very simple and yet fundamental reality about the world that we live in, a reality that is so easy for us to forget in our day to day living. It's no wonder, it's not a surprise to us that Solomon wants to go here, that he wants us to take, he wants to take us to this place. After all, Solomon. The writer of the book of Ecclesiastes wrote about the nature of life under the sun, didn't he? Some of you are familiar with his writings in that wisdom book, Ecclesiastes 2.11. He laments, I considered all that my hands had done, all the toil that I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity. All was a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. It's a familiar theme, Solomon, about our existence, and here in Psalm 127, two times in these first two verses, he uses the phrase, unless the Lord. Three times he uses the word, vain, unless the Lord, vain, unless the Lord, vain. vain." Vain it is. You see, the point of these first couple of verses in Psalm 127 is not about diligence. The passage is not exhorting us against slothfulness in our lives, though some of us may struggle with that. There are other places in the scripture that speak to our slothfulness, our need to work and not be lazy. Now this psalm is asking whether our work, the work that we're already engaged in, is fruitful, or is it just work that is spinning our wheels? Are we just spinning our wheels, so to speak? Without the Lord, life is a waste. And so I want you to see this morning as we kind of walk through this brief psalm, that Solomon in his God-given wisdom gives us four consequences. Three of them more explicitly than the first. The first is kind of assumed. But four consequences of a life lived without God. I've put them in, in, in words that begin with P. hope you all remember. And the first one is this. Without God, there's no purpose. Without God, there's no purpose. Life has no Purpose. You see, the simple thing that really is assumed, it's not stated explicitly, but the first thing that's assumed in this psalm is that you know the Lord. That you have a relationship with the Lord. And so we begin again this morning with the Gospel. With the fact that a life of ultimate purpose... A life of ultimate meaning must begin with God. It must begin with God through Jesus, His Son. God has created you for a purpose, for His purpose, for His glory. To meet your soul's longing, your deepest desires. The Lord has created you for that. And so if you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus, that's where you begin. By acknowledging that without God, there's no purpose to my life. Acknowledging that I don't want to waste my life, but I want my life to matter. I want my life to be what it was designed to. To be. So that's where it all starts. But once that's done, what then? Solomon assumes that we're going to be busy. And he's interested in focusing that busy activity rightly. And so next he reminds us that not only is there no purpose without the Lord, but there is no production without the Lord. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor it, those who build it, labor in vain. Well, there are lots of things that we build. We build physical structures. We build careers. We build relationships. We build families. We build communities. Which kind of building is Solomon talking about? I think he's talking about, or at least we can apply it to all these different areas. To any exercise of building, whatever we choose to create, no matter how hard we try, it will be fruitless if the Lord is not in it. There's a great example of this in our own history as a nation. Benjamin Franklin, a name many of you know well, man who is. Not a Christian, but a deist, but he appreciated Christians. At the Constitutional Convention of 1787, he delivered a speech. And a portion of the speech said this, I have lived for a long time, and the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of man. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, It is probable that an empire, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. I firmly believe this, and I also believe that without his concurring aid, we shall proceed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. We shall be divided by our little, partial, local interests. Our prospects will be confounded. And we ourselves shall become a reproach and a byword down to future ages. And what is worse, mankind may hereafter from this unfortunate instance, despairing of establishing government by human wisdom, and leave it to chance, war, or conquest. I therefore beg, leave. To move that henceforth prayers, imploring the assistance of heaven and its blessings on our deliberations, be held in this assembly every morning before we proceed to business. And that one or more of the clergy of this city be requested to officiate in that service. It's quite a speech, quite an excerpt of a speech. Now don't hear me wrong, God is not building a nation God's building His kingdom. But could it be that as we hear some of the words of one of our founding fathers, that the success, that the prosperity of this nation is in part due to the fact that at least at some point we believe that phrase that's printed on our money, in God we trust? See, God's Word challenges us this morning. Are the things that we are building, the things that you are investing in, the things that you are pouring your life into, are they things that the Lord is concerned about? We don't have the mind of God. We don't know exhaustively what the Lord is doing in our world, but we do know a lot from what God has revealed to us. We know, for instance, as we'll get to in the latter half of this psalm. We know that God is concerned about building families, that that's a priority to Him. So the questions come to us is our, are our families something that we're making a priority? Shannon sharp, tight end for many years for the Denver Broncos, was inducted into the Football Hall of Fame. One of the things he lamented in this speech, which many people think was the greatest speech ever given to the Football Hall of Fame. I don't watch this on a regular basis. I just happened to see the article. But Shannon Sharp lamented the fact that he didn't spend time with his kids, that he didn't make his family a priority. And I thought, well, good for you. But then he went on to say, but that's what got me here. I wouldn't be standing here before you giving this speech to the Hall of Fame if I hadn't sacrificed my family. So thank you, family. Thank you. And I thought, oh, you missed it. See, God's interested in building families. We know He's building His church, not just a physical structure. He's building living stones. He's building you and me, as 1 Peter says. He's putting us together on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Are we concerned about what He's building here? Are we concerned about our own holiness? Are we concerned about each other, about God's people, or Are these the things that lie close to your heart? See, if we're not about what God's about, we're not going to be fruitful. These things, in a sense, are things that come inherently with the blessing of God because we know that these are things that God is concerned about. Families and building His church. And so we work at them. Dependent upon His grace. But this truth also extends not just to building families, not just to to building our church in that narrow sense, but it also extends to all our callings in this world. Whatever God has put, wherever God has put you, whatever He has gifted you with, whether it be designing aqueducts or Fixing things or selling real estate or managing people, anything built without the Lord, anything without His blessing, without His guidance, without our dependence upon Him, is ultimately a waste of our effort. Without God, there's no purpose in life. Without God, there's no production in our lives and in our callings. And thirdly, without God, there is no protection. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Ancient cities were these walled fortresses. Protection against the enemy with outposts where the watchman would watch day and night looking for the advance of a foreign army. One can only imagine the Israelites singing this song reciting this song as they walked. And they, and they looked up and they saw the fortress of Jerusalem. They saw the watchmen, even, in the towers. We know a thing or two about security in our world. We live in a broken world where it's so easy to be anxious about life. We buy locks. We have alarms. We buy insurance, all for the purpose of feeling safe. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing. But Solomon calls us to once again recognize this morning that locks are no locks, airbags are no bags, your safety is dependent upon the Lord. And here he puts before us, he sets before us this great doctrine of divine providence. Divine providence, which our, our catechism, the larger catechism, defines as his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures, ordering them in all their actions for his own glory. Providence. The providence of God is such a great doctrine for us and our hearts to cling to in a world where it's easy to be anxious, It's not protected unless the Lord is doing the protecting. Without the Lord, no purpose, no production, no protection, and finally, no provision. No provision. Solomon writes, It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for He gives to His beloved sleep. There it is again. There it is again, the issue of sleep. Two kinds of people are presented here. You have this anxious workaholic, so to speak, that gets up early and stays up late, thinking that all the provision is dependent upon him coming home, absolutely exhausted at the end of the day. And then there is the beloved, those who aren't lazy, but those who recognize that ultimately... It's the sovereign God of the universe that's providing for their needs. And so as a result, this person can sleep. They can rest. They can be at peace. And this was, of course, Jesus' message in Matthew 6 about seeking first the kingdom of God and not being anxious about tomorrow because tomorrow worries about itself. And you know, before we leave these first two verses, it brings us back to, I think, the fact that without God there's no provision. It brings us back to the Gospel, where we began. There's no purpose without God. And without accepting God's provision, there's no relationship with God. See here, this taps into our Propensity to want to earn God's favor. To want to work for our standing before God. And yet God reminds us to just rest in His grace. He's provided. Don't work at being the best person you could be. Rest in Jesus. Rest in the grace that's given you in Him. Two paths are set before us in these verses, the way of human autonomy, doing your own thing with varying degrees of regard for God and His will, a life that ultimately robs God of His glory as it lives as if He doesn't exist. Or there's the way of discipleship, a life that rests secure in God's care and Strives to give Him glory and submit to Him in all things. Which path is ours this morning? Without God, life is a waste. That's just the first two verses as we think about this second half of Psalm 127. As we move to verse 3. At first glance, it seems like it's a different song. It's a different subject altogether. Solomon's making our minds leap. And yet, think about the Jews as they originally sang this song. It's a song of ascent. They're singing it as they go to Jerusalem, and they're they're singing it with their families. And so, they're singing about building. They're singing about providing and protecting. What are they doing with their hands? They're... They're holding the hands of their children as they walk. So, what do you think would naturally flow off their lips? God's promises are given to Abraham and to his children and to his children's children. And so, where would God's people rejoice next? I think they'd think about their children. So that's the second truth this morning that I want us to think about. Not only without the Lord, life is a waste, but a life invested in children is fruitful into eternity. A life invested in children is fruitful into eternity. Now obviously this is going to be a point that's an encouragement to parents. Parents. We've got a lot of parents in this room. But lest the rest of you, those of you who are single, those of you who are empty nesters, those of you who have never had children, maybe never will have children, lest you are tempted to turn me off, let me remind you that this point includes you. This point includes you. It includes you because you are part of God's covenant community. You are part of this family. The family of God. Many of you have have been there. You are particularly gifted to come alongside and to assist and help parents who are now there. Even those of you who haven't been there and never will be there. You are particularly gifted to come alongside children. See, children are far from, they're, they're far from a waste of time. Children are something worth building. Children are something worth protecting. They're something worth providing for. And our culture doesn't always come across with this kind of view. Too often, maybe even our words, Maybe not in our words, but maybe in our actions. We as a society sometimes communicate that children are burdens, that they're financial or social inconveniences to pursuing our dreams. For that reason, in some cases we say that they're merely tissue that can be disposed of before birth if it's convenient to do so. But God says something profound here about children. He says, first of all, that children are rewards from Him. Children are rewards. They're not necessarily earned rewards. No, children are trophies of God's grace. Certainly we recognize the biological processes and the secondary causes that exist in conceiving And bearing children. Yet ask anyone who has ever struggled with getting pregnant. Whether God is in control. Whether God is the source of our children. So as a father of five myself. I've had to ask questions about the blessing of children. If they are rewards and blessings from the Lord. Then. Am I treating them as such? Am I telling them of this reality? Am I building into them and making them a priority of my time? If they're from the Lord, He has a purpose for them. I'm merely a steward that's molding them into His purposes. And therefore, I ought to always be consulting the Lord when I make decisions about them. So I would encourage us, as Psalm 127 encourages us this morning, to rejoice in the rewards of our children. And not just biological children, but the children of this church. The children of our families. Children are rewards. But they're not just rewards, according to Psalm 127, they're also Weapons, And this is a great, great picture that we have of our kids. The fact that our kids are weapons. You see, in Solomon's day, there were few weapons that were more effective than a bow and arrow. Could shoot far beyond the reach of its shooter. And it should be noted that as the scripture calls children arrows, they're not born this way. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, Sticks are not by nature arrows. They do not grow so, they are made so. They are knotty and rugged, but by care and skill and patience, they are made smooth and straight. You see, when children are formed by God's grace, by prayer, by the work of the church in addition to families, as children are formed into lovers of God, they go off into the kingdom of God and they reach places that their parents, that this church could never reach, could never go as they inflict pain on the enemy. And that should be our desire this morning for our kids, for the kids of this church. One of the great examples of this is the life of Jim Elliot. I've spoke about Jim Elliot before Jim Elliot was one of four American missionaries who were killed in the 1950s, bringing the gospel to an unreached people group deep in the jungles of Ecuador. And before he died, his parents were grieving at him going so far from them and leaving them for such a mission. And he wrote this. He wrote, Grieve not then if your sons seem to desert you. Remember how the psalmist described children. He said that they were a heritage from the Lord, and that every man should be happy who had his quiver full of them. And what is a quiver full full of but arrows? And what are arrows? What are arrows for but to shoot? So with strong arms of prayer, draw the bowstring back and let the arrows fly, all of them straight at the enemy's host. See, children are offensive weapons for the kingdom of God. Weapons that, yes, parents, moms, and dads, you primarily are investing in, but all of us are investing in. As we want to see the next generation of worshipers grow up and be used by God in His kingdom. But the Psalm also declares in verse five that children are defensive weapons. This fact had significant outworking in the day in which it was written. For what does one do if you are accused by someone at the gates? The gates, which were often the places of of court proceedings. You just bring your boys along. You just bring your three or four strapping young lads to stand behind you. They're a pretty good defense against those who might accuse you. See, the scriptures give us this picture of children, which is just wonderful. Wonderful. Offensive and defensive weapons of God to be used for His purposes. Legacies into eternity. And as I think about my own children, they will know nothing of three of their great-grandfathers. They know one, but they know nothing of the other three. They might learn some facts about those grandfathers, those great-grandfathers, when they get older, but maybe not. I know very little about my great-grandfathers. But one thing that my children will carry with them, one thing that I carry with me, is that godly heritage of my great-grandfathers that's passed down from generation to generation as the offspring of those men go out into the world as arrows against the enemy. See, children are rewards, but they're weapons as well. And a life invested in children is fruitful into eternity. I know that we in this room are primarily about two things. Work and family. Work and family. Psalm 127, a simple but profound psalm, reminds us again and asks us the question, what is our perspective in our work? What is our perspective in our families? And not just our our own biological families, but the family of God. This morning may we have grace to remember that life lived without the Lord is a waste. But life invested in children is fruitful into eternity. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for Solomon in his wisdom who reminds us that without you, our efforts are fruitful, fruitless. Without your protection, we have no protection. Without your building, we have no fruit for our labor. Oh, Father, we pray as the psalmist prayed elsewhere that You would establish the work of our hands. Oh, how we want to be fruitful for You. And oh, how we want to be intentional with the blessings that You have given us, the rewards of children that You have entrusted into our care. And not just moms and dads, but spiritual aunts and uncles, spiritual grandfathers and grandmothers. Father, I pray for our children this morning. I pray that there might not be a day when they don't know and acknowledge and confess You as their God. Would You mold them from those knotty sticks into straight flying arrows to be used for Your glory. Lord, we desire that even above our desire for them to stay close to us, above our desire for them to be prosperous and successful. Father, we want them to be fruitful for You above all. So, Father, help us as a church, guide us to that end, we pray, and impress your word upon us once again this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.